All right. Uh, our first scripture reading is actually two scriptures, um, and they're from the 18th and 21st chapters of Genesis, and it uh, can be found on pages 13 and 16 uh, in the Old Testament of your pew Bible. So we'll start out with Genesis 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread so uh, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servants. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant, who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There, in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of woman. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown up and my husband is old, Shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah, why did Sarah laugh? Um, and says, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the time set, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, Oh, yes, you did laugh. Moving on to Genesis 21. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son whom Sarah bore him, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would ever have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Uh, Second lesson from Romans, the fifth chapter, the first eight verses. Therefore, Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing in the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions, knowing that affliction produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us 
For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The word of the Lord. Turn your hearts with me in prayer. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our heart, be acceptable in thine sight. Our Lord, our Redeemer. Amen. As you age, as you mature, as you experience the flow of your life, the question this morning is, are you becoming more cynical or are you becoming more hopeful? Has time made you more cynical or has it made you more hopeful? I ask because the surprise to me in this morning's text from Paul's letter to the church in Rome is his assertion that a faithful response to the experiences of time and trials should be hopefulness. Hopefulness. It surprises me because it is the opposite of how I am choosing to interpret the world around me as I ride through it. I err on the side of becoming more cynical and must confess this morning that I don't necessarily become more hopeful. I'm beginning to arrive at that age in which some of my stories actually begin with back when I was your age, or kids just don't have it as hard as we did, or where's the handbasket? I was told there was going to be a handbasket. Think about it. Was the past really better? Was it? Oh, you bet it was. At least that's the way my selective memory chooses to think of it. Yeah, there was a time when this country, this, those in government were more honest, more forthright, and had a, heady, a steadier hand on the wheel. Presidents were more presidential. Senators were more senatorial. And members of the House were more homely. Okay, maybe not. Back in the day, it was not the deceiving clown show that we experience today. Am I right? At least, that's what I carry around in my head. The glory days of forthrightness and statesmanship. Fortunately, this past week, that memory was shaken a bit with the passing of Daniel Ellsberg. Daniel Ellsberg was once called the most dangerous man in the United States. He was called the most dangerous man in the United States by the president, and it turned out that he was probably the most dangerous man only to the president. My selective brain tucks neatly into a discrete exception of time, the Pentagon Papers, Watergate, 
Iran-Contra, Lewinsky and presidential perjury. These are, these are just exceptions. But the flow of things was otherwise pretty clear. Of course, those things happened in about every four-year sequences. All those moments of, of deception and indiscretion, poof! When I think about what's seriously wrong with the world today, obviously what's happening today is way worse, right? Much worse. With perhaps the exception of Senator Frank Church and Fanny Flagg. But extra credit for the people who get that reference. Every bad piece of news, every article, every meme reminds me that things are disintegrating and we've never lived with so much disappointing, dystopian disaster. Hope, it gets dashed anew every morning. The only truly informed worldview is the one that approaches each day with deepening cynical disgust. Except, except Paul's letter to his church in Rome states flat out that the longer we have endured sufferings, the greater our hope. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance should give character, and character should produce hope. And hope, Paul said, does not disappoint. Paul says right out, that our validating hopelessness, our cynicism, is inconsistent with our faith and our experience of the grace of Jesus Christ. Well, then again, Paul could say that, right? He lived in a much simpler time. Paul lived at the beginning of the church. It was new and fresh and full of hope, taking the world by storm. Of course Paul could be hopeful, Things were way better in his past. Remember, however, Paul was, um, he was writing from prison when he wrote these words. We live in an age where we can get into an argument as to whether or not saying Merry Christmas is going to be offensive to somebody. Paul lived in an age, if you were to say Merry Christmas, it could get you fed to the lions. And yet Paul says that suffering should end in hopefulness. What's going on? Was the Apostle Paul possibly nibbling on the shrooms that were growing in the dark corners of his Roman holding cell? No, Paul is claiming a reality, not some psychedelically induced fantasy. Paul is challenging the church in Rome, and I'd suggest the church in LaGrange, to see things as they truly are, not as the outcome of our selective memory. Paul knew, as we know, that our memories tend to be the greatest hits of an archaeological dig rather than some digital replay of what really happened. Memory has a tendency to lead us to forget what really happened and to retrieve only the high points. So I use the metaphor of archaeology. You've probably been to the Field Museum to go see Sue, the Tyrannosaurus Rex. If you had a little boy, I went there often because Calvin, when he was younger, wanted to see the dinosaur bones. Ah, that was, that was back when Father's Day were great. Anyway, <laughs> we recall the giant skeleton found almost completely intact in South Dakota 
but we completely forget the tedious hours with teeny tiny paintbrushes that were involved to excavate those bones preceded by months and months and months of picking up disappointing purposeless rocks that's why Christmas is always better in the past always past Christmases were always better why because all of our Christmases are mushed into a single ball of glowing joy the frustrations the tedium the nausea are conveniently swept away by the memorialized joyful compilation which means by comparison this coming Christmas is going to be way more disappointing just to get you ready that is until some future Christmas comes along which is even more disappointing and so this Christmas is going to be remembered as pretty good you need to get away from it with time to be able to forget how disappointing it was and memory plays that trick it happens all the time except actually with Father's Day every Father's Day is is more wonderful than the last one or so I told my son this morning what's forgotten are the elements that Paul chooses to recall Paul talks about all of the unpleasant and tedious stuff that in order to make this day hopeful needs to be recalled the suffering the perseverance the character the accurate reflection of just how tough things really were becomes the very stuff of our present hope growing lasting defendable hope let's be honest think about it middle school was a great experience for no one right oh you look back and say I wish I had those problems again would you like to have those problems again as a middle schooler but you persevered being a freshman anywhere isn't fun but oh you can tell your kids how much fun you had during the freshman year packing on those 15 pounds of dorm food yeah right you had a great time but we don't recall the struggle the tedium and the endurance that built the hope that got us through while none of us can compare our past to Paul's being beaten in a first century Roman holding cell that happens to be the point you got through it God got you through it and you who are who you are today is because you were blessed with perseverance that built character that gives you hope so I find when I'm becoming cynical if I'm losing hope in any given moment it is because I am not accurately recalling what God has done for me in the past there were times when you I didn't think we were gonna make it you didn't think that you were gonna get through that day through that night through that season but you did how do I know here you are you got through it and because we forget those times of suffering and our minds focus only on our past successes we lose sight of the very reason that can give to us true hope present hope 
If you think the world is worse off today than it's ever been, then I suggest you need to go reread history. It's not. Because throughout history, humanity has done some pretty stupid stuff. But God has loved humanity through. Here we are, so that we might still bring hope into the present day and look with confident joy into our future. Think of Abraham and Sarah. They were old. I mean, really old. I love how the Bible puts it. Abraham was old and advanced in years. In case you didn't understand what old meant. At the time when folks didn't live very very long, Abraham and Sarah had outlived most of their contemporaries, a vast majority of their contemporaries' children, and even a few of their contemporaries' grandchildren. Except they didn't have any grandchildren because they didn't have any children. Sarah hated going to the women's sewing group. All the other ladies would brag about their granddaughters and grandsons and how successful they were and how wonderful they were to take time to pay attention to their grandmother and how they brought them little gifts and how together they baked cookies. Blood would boil. It felt like they were just trying to make her feel bad. Abraham, likewise, he'd be playing cards with the other guys. They'd talk about how they were going to leave their land and their farm and all their animals to their really smart son or son or son-in-law and all the grandchildren they had that would enjoy all of the wealth that they had accumulated, and all Abraham could do was to walk out and say, Hey, God, you promised a son. You promised I'd have kids. Then three men come to their compound one day, and Abraham extends to them hospitality, as John read. And they tell Abraham and Sarah they're going to have a baby, a child, within the year. What happened? Sarah laughed. Sarah laughed. Not just a chuckle. It's a big belly laugh, so much so that she's inside the tent. They're outside with the animals, and they heard her. She denies it, but they heard her. Messengers come and tell her that her future at her advanced age is going to involve fulfilling her life's desire. She can't help herself. She cannot conceive of conceiving. And when she thinks about Abraham trying to have babies with her, of course, the message is comedy. Trust me, you can't unsee that, can you? But the Genesis account tells us something more about God, that even when Abraham and Sarah doubt and were unbelieving, even when they take matters into their own hands with the whole mess with Hagar and Ishmael, God is still faithful and delivers to them a future. That should give us hope because even in our cynical helplessness, God is faithful to deliver to us a future. Even when we forget, God remembers I think that's why the Apostle Paul finds himself in a prison cell thinking so much about Abraham and Sarah. I think as he considers what could be helplessness and hopelessness in his situation, he remembers the character of God to those patriarchs and matriarchs and their situation. 
that God made good on God's promise to them. And the more he thought about Abraham and thought about Sarah, the more he writes about God's promise and covenant with us. A powerful theological flow here in Paul's letter to the church at Rome. It unfolds clearly. So much so that here we sit in 2023 marveling over what it means to us. Paul, when he wrote these words about Abraham and Sarah, was distanced in time just about as many years as we are distanced from Paul. Paul recalls God's faithfulness to Abraham and Sarah. We recall Paul's experiencing God's faithfulness in a prison cell in Rome, and we're left with nothing other than the option of hope. If God could deliver them on their promise, certainly the same God can deliver me from whatever I happen to be facing today. How do we know that? Because God has delivered us from the evils of our past. We pray, deliver us from evil. Have we been delivered from evil? We pray it a lot. By the way, remember those words, lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. Remember the word hallowed. Hallowed be thy name. It will matter if you're on jeopardy. I feel bad for their pastors in that moment. Can you imagine Sunday school teacher watching a Jeopardy contestant not able to remember hallowed be thy name? Ouch. God has delivered us from evil in the past. And so we have the evidence by our very being, by our very presence, that the hope in the past was not in vain. And that perhaps we can be delivered from today's evil too. It is suffering that breeds perseverance and endurance and hope. It transforms whatever you think you're going through today. One word of advice, however. When you feel the hope, learn from Sarah. Don't laugh. Let us stand and speak the words of our faith in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty.